Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. do you do when you really mess up? I mean, everybody makes mistakes. People do things and wish they hadn't done them. But I'm talking about the kind of thing that you don't just feel a little bad about. The kind of thing that'll keep you awake at three o'clock in the morning when you're lying in the bed thinking, why in the world did I do that? Man, if I could just have those 10 minutes back or those 10 hours or I guess for some people it could be 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months, and sometimes even for people it would be 10 years because I would certainly do things differently, but man, I can't do that now. And then sometimes we ask ourselves the questions like, why, why did I do that? I've actually had people look at me after having done something that's caused great misery in their life and say, tell me why I did that. I don't know why you did that. As a matter of fact, you probably could figure it out. And let's think about for a few minutes how we might figure out the why. Because sometimes people find it very difficult to finally accept forgiveness and move on until they have some comprehension of why they did what they did. Now, I cannot tell you exactly why you do the things you do or have done the things you've done. I can give you some insight, I hope, but I can't tell you exactly why. And then, and then I want to talk to you about how do you get past it? How do you finally find peace within yourself when you really regret some of the things that have happened in your life? So first, let's talk about how does it happen, and then secondly, talk about what is forgiveness really, and how do I forgive me? And as part of that, how do I forgive other people? And as part of that, how do I get other people to forgive me, realizing that some people never will? I was on a national television program once. I've been on several national television programs like the Today Show and Good Morning America and things like that. But this particular time, I was contacted by a person afterwards who was chastising me to no end, saying, I can't believe that you are on TV. I can't believe they actually said nice things about you because you are scum. And then she launched in to remind me of something I had done 25 years before that had caused her great pain. It hurt me to hear that. It really did. And I wanted to do everything I could to somehow appease her, to get her where she would forgive me. And she let me know that she would never forgive me, no matter what, ever. And then she told me some of the negative consequences that had come into her life that were my fault. I must admit, I went went into a blue funk for a little while, but I found a way out. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Beam. I want to talk to you tonight about this because I have personally experienced it, but because of the fact that you too can get past whatever it was. Several years ago, I was doing a call-in question and answer program. 
I was in, uh, well, I was in a northern city. Let's just leave it at that. And this woman called me. She later identified herself as being 59 years old. And when she first called me, it was a, a program where I was trying to give answers to people's questions about life. And she said, please, sir, does God forgive a murderer? And there was something in her voice. And so I asked, do you mean that you have, no, actually, she said, does God forgive somebody who has killed someone? That's how she started. And I said, because of something in her voice, I said, are you telling me that, that you're talking about murder, not just killing, but murder? She said, yes, still something in her voice. And I said, are you telling me that you murdered someone? She said, yes. When I was a young woman, I did. I was convicted. I went to prison. I've served my time. I am now out. And I just want to feel forgiven. She said, I've actually gone to various pastors around the town and asked them, will God forgive me? And they've all told me, no, no, that God doesn't forgive murderers. By the way, I'm quite convinced that was not the answer the pastors were given, but I am convinced that was the answer she was hearing. Why? Because of her guilt. So let's talk about it. Is guilt a bad thing or is guilt a good thing? Understand that if we don't feel any guilt at all, we're going to wind up being what people call a sociopath or a psychopath, which means that we'll wind up doing all kinds of things without feeling any recrimination, without feeling any guilt about what we did, because it's all about us, what we want, how we want things to go. We'll manipulate people. We'll use people. We'll do all kinds of terrible things just because of the fact that it gets me the way I want or gets me the things that I want. So guilt if a person ever feels any guilt at all for his or her behaviors that are not what they should be, then that person scares me. On two different occasions, I have served as chaplains for police. Once was the Indiana state troopers. And then on another occasion later in my life for the Alabama state, Oh, actually the Indiana state police, I should say. And then the Alabama state troopers. And I would ride sometimes with the city policeman in Evansville, Indiana as a chaplain for the, the state police. And we would see various situations, and it was sometimes that we would run into people that had no sensation at all of any concern for anybody other than themselves. In other words, they did appear to be the sociopaths and the psychopaths. And it was the only time I ever saw the policeman get edgy. And I asked one of them, why not? I mean, why, why do you find yourself edgy with this person and you're not edgy with other people? And they said, because these people, you never know what they're going to do because all they think about is themselves, period, and not anybody else, and they're dangerous. Well, don't be that way. On the other hand, if you feel guilt that is overwhelming, guilt that shuts you down, that's bad too because of the fact that you just can't function in life. Think of it this way. Guilt does in the emotional and even spiritual realm, what pain does in the physical realm. So if you couldn't feel any pain whatsoever, you might think, well, that'd be wonderful. Wow, no back aches, no neck aches. I'd, I'd love to where I didn't have any sensation of feeling pain. But you must understand that people who never feel pain are in jeopardy because they might have a disease that would normally create pain and they don't sense the pain. Therefore they don't understand the symptom is there. Therefore they don't get the right help or they might be in a situation where they get hurt and it's really, they're hurt badly, but they have no idea that they're hurt badly because it just doesn't hurt at all. So when people cannot feel pain, then they can't function because of the fact, well, they can function, but they'll function in great jeopardy 
because they need pain to say something's wrong, fix it. And that's what pain does in the physical realm. It says something's wrong, fix it. So if you sit down on a hot stove and you can't feel pain, you're in trouble. But if you sit down on a hot stove and you can feel pain, you get that sensation that instantly says something's wrong, fix it. And you jump off of the stove. Now, pain in the physical realm is equivalent to guilt in the mental, emotional, even spiritual realm, because guilt says something's wrong, fix it. You've done something that you believe is wrong. As a matter of fact, you may have hurt other people with it, and now you feel very guilty about it. I felt guilty when that woman contacted me and told me how I had hurt her 25 years earlier. I mean, I felt terrible. It was like, my goodness, I didn't even know that I had done that. But now you tell me I did it. I get it. I hear it. And, and it just makes me feel awful. So what do you do then? Well, we want to be able to feel some guilt, but not guilt that's so strong. Because if people have pain that never ends, never ceases, eventually that pain will completely shut them down. They become unable to function. On the other hand, guilt that doesn't go away, that's just there all the time, will shut you down as well where you can't function. It may manifest itself in such things as depression or even anxiety or just a malaise where that you don't even want to function in life anymore. I think that some of the people who have become the proverbial sofa spuds, the couch potatoes, are people who don't want to function in life anymore because they can't face things because they think I've done enough damage. I've done enough harm. I don't want to do any more. Or why would anybody care about somebody like me? Because I have trouble even caring about myself after what I have done. So whatever it is that you did that leads you to listen to a program like this, or whatever it is that somebody you love did that you're listening to this program because you're trying to find a way to help him or her stay with me. Now, some of the things that I'll talk about in this program, I have talked about in other programs, so forgive any redundancy, but even when we do come back and talk about some things again, quite often we'll say it in a little different way, and sometimes the light goes on just because we do. So when I talk about, okay, if I'm trying to figure out why, why did I do what I did? Now, I've used this before, but stay with me. As a matter of fact, if you have a, something to write with and a piece of paper in front of you, you might want to draw this out so you can use it later. On the left-hand side of the sheet, put susceptibility slash vulnerability. Just a little bit to the right of that, possibility. And just to a little bit to the right of that, put probability. Now, if you've stayed with me, on the far left, you've got susceptibility, uh, susceptibility or vulnerability. Then you've got possibility. Then you've got probability. And just to the right of probability, write reality. And then just to the right of reality, put consequence. Consequence? Oh, consequence. You see, everything in life we do has some kind of a consequence. Either consequences that are good that we enjoy Yay, that was wonderful, or consequences that we're not so happy about, that we wish wouldn't occur, but in fact, they do occur. So what am I talking about here and trying to understand why you have done whatever it is that you have done that you feel so guilty about? Most people have never done an analysis of what susceptibilities and vulnerabilities they have, and susceptibilities and vulnerabilities often, often come out of childhood they can, at times, come out of your life after childhood, but before now. But let's just talk about childhood for a while. 
So if a person grows up in a home with a very abusive, let's just say an abusive father and mother, and they're both emotionally abusive and physically abusive and those kinds of things, what kind of vulnerabilities, susceptibilities they create in the children that they bring up? Well, uh, even though we hate to think about it this way, one possible vulnerability or susceptibility is that this child, as this child goes into adolescence and finally adulthood, might be a person who does things that abuses other people. I'm not saying that every person who's come from that kind of household will do that thing. Please don't misunderstand. But that's at least one. One thing that might come from that, a vulnerability or susceptibility, is the only way I know how to communicate is through inflicting pain on others because that was what communicated to me. Or it'd be just the opposite, where it would be, okay, the possibility of vulnerability is that anybody, anybody who shows me any kind of attention, who can make me feel good about myself by the things they say to me, the things they do for me, just even the way they look at me, I'm attracted to so powerfully that I want to be with him or her because of the fact that it just makes me feel good because I have so much so early in my life wanted to get away from relationships because they were so painful that this relationship now makes it where I'm going to be there. You have likely seen very young women, for example, who grew up in homes with very strict and or abusive fathers and mothers who as soon as they could get out of the home did and typically married the first man that showed them any kind of attention. Although quite often those men turned out to be the kind of people who are also controlling and dominating and abusive. But what first attracted this woman to them was the fact that at least somebody now is treating me with kindness. So if you think about that, some of us have come out of childhood. Uh, for example, let's suppose you got a guy and he's been told all of his life that he's ugly, treated that he's ugly. And he, he doesn't go to his prom in high school because he thinks he's too ugly to ask a girl out. So he has no girlfriends, etc. And finally he gets out into life and, and becomes good at something. So maybe he has not transformed into the swan, but at least now he's doing things that make him more attractive to other people. Let's say maybe he's a great athlete, for example, or a great comedian or a great singer or whatever else it might be. And maybe just good at his job, whatever he does. And, and therefore starts becoming attractive to another person. He may wind up getting married then. Well, this is great. But do you realize that with that person, there also might be the susceptibility or vulnerability to women all of his life, particularly younger women, because that was the age he was when women rejected him. And so I know of a minister several years ago who was extremely obese when he was a teenager. No girl attention at all. He actually became a public speaker and was outstanding at it. He finally had one of those surgeries and he lost a whole lot of weight. And now, because he was such a great orator and because of the fact now he was really, you know, not that guy that girls kind of ignored anymore. And I'm not trying to put down people who are obese. People started paying attention to him, particularly women. He had married in the meantime, but when he finally wound up having an affair, and I am not in any fashion or form justifying what he did, but when he finally wound up having an affair, it was with a 13-year-old girl. Now, she'd gone through puberty. She did look a lot older. In other words, he wasn't a pedophile. She had gone through puberty. She looked a lot older, but she was young. So why would anybody be attracted to a guy, I mean, to a woman, you know, if he's in his 20s and she's 13, why? Well, think about it. Because in his childhood, those are the people who had rejected him. Now, I'm not 
justifying his behavior. I'm saying that if we stop to think about what our vulnerabilities are, that usually come out of our childhood. I even dealt with one situation where a young woman wound up having an extramarital affair with her boss. And she was asking me, why did I do that? It's against everything I believe, everything I stand for. It's against everything that I value. Why in the world did I want to be involved with him? And we were able to have uh, some pretty in-depth conversations. And in one of those conversations, she started talking about her childhood and how her dad expected absolute perfection from her to the point that if she were bringing home anything less than an A-plus on anything, she would weep because she knew how disappointed her father was going to be. Now, I'm not trying to make her dad out as a bad or evil guy. Please hear me. I'm not doing that. As a matter of fact, it would probably kill him to know the effect that wound up having on her. And as she talked about how much she needed the approval of her father and was so upset when she couldn't get it, then I started asking her things like, did that have any application to the way you felt about your boss? Well, yeah. Yeah, I always wanted his approval, and I felt terrible when I didn't get it, which was a susceptibility of vulnerability that existed in childhood. And when finally his expectations evolved into, I want you to be emotionally involved with me, I want you in my bed, it happened. And she felt terrible about it. Now, I'm not trying to justify anything anybody does wrong. But I am trying to understand and to say, if we can really look at ourselves and understand what set me up for that. Now, I'm again, not as an excuse like, oh, it's not my fault. It's my dad's fault. It's my mom's fault. No, no. If you ever go to an AA meeting and, and if some guy were to speak up, at least in the AA meetings I've been in, if some guy or gal were to speak up and say, it's my mom's fault, I'm an alcoholic because she was one. Somebody will point out to them, well, you know, it's not your mom who's right now here. It's you. And why don't you take responsibility for your own actions and your own decisions and not blame it on somebody else? I'm afraid we have come through a generation, maybe several generations now, when people don't want responsibility for anything. So if I break into your house and breaking into your house, I accidentally break my leg because you had mopped the floor and it wasn't dry yet. I sue you because it's your fault. I broke my leg, even though I broke into your house, that kind of society we live in. And that's insane at least from a psychological standpoint, and as I think also from a sociological standpoint. So I'm not trying to say blame somebody else for your problems. I'm simply saying try to understand what your vulnerabilities are. And then if you, and again, most people never do. They just never do. Then you look at the possibilities. In America, well, if you were living in a country like Saudi Arabia and you had a susceptibility to being an alcoholic, it probably wouldn't be a big deal because you can't buy any liquor. But in America, everything is possible. Everything is possible. There's always somebody out there who will be interested in you. There's always the drug out there that you can find if you want. There's the alcohol that's plentiful and everywhere. I mean, everything you can possibly imagine. If you decided, wow, I really need some money because of the fact that I grew up broke poverty and I want money, there are all kinds of ways to make it or take it. And so... The possibilities in America exist, but the possibility doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Probability, probability is where the problem begins to come to a head. You say, what do you mean? Well, if I have a susceptibility of becoming an alcoholic and I start hanging out with guys that drink a lot, I've actually moved in not 
just possibility, but probability, because if that susceptibility exists within me, that vulnerability, and I'm with people who do it all the time, then it's very likely I'm going to do it too. It's highly probable. Or if I really need female attention to make me feel better about myself, because I haven't either from my childhood or earlier experiences in life where I felt I've been mistreated and unloved. Nobody cared about me or even potentially maybe in this marriage, I feel like I'm invisible. I don't exist that my wife is focused totally on the children and has no concern for me. And I just want somebody to care about me. Now, again, I'm not trying to justify anything. Please hear that. And then some woman that I meet at Starbucks and we wind up at the table together because the place is packed and we wind up conversing with each other. And by the way, the next week I walk in at the same time on the same day and there she is. And we have more conversation. And in those conversations, we keep talking to each other longer and longer. And I'm looking at my wife thinking, I really need to get to work, but I'm really enjoying this a lot. And finally begin to say, well, you know, maybe we can meet some other time when we have a little longer. I'm off Thursday afternoon. What about you? Well, I can take the afternoon off. Hey, there's this beautiful park up the road. Why don't we just drive up there and we'll just talk. We're just friends. Then you've moved very high into probability and eventually there's going to be reality. You're going to do it. And in that reality, you're going to go through a thing called cognitive dissonance. Stay with me now. The first thing you'll do is what, calls, is what is called compartmentalized thinking. What that means is you won't let yourself think about that what I'm doing could be in conflict with my beliefs and values. You'll keep those things apart. But at some point, you won't be able to keep them apart. You'll start thinking about them both at the same time. And then you'll feel guilty. And that's what cognitive dissonance is. Dissonance means disharmony. Cognitive means it's happening in your brain. And so you'll start feeling like, oh, my goodness, it's tearing me apart because I shouldn't be doing this. And so because of that, this guilt, I, I think I should stop. But here's the problem. If I'm enjoying what it is I'm doing. So let's say I'm now not just meeting that woman in the park, but we are actually kissing in the park. And I feel guilty about that and think I'm never going back. I shouldn't do that. That was terrible. And so I feel guilty for a while. And the guilt begins to subside a little bit. At least the guilt subsides enough that it's not as strong as the desire to kiss her again. And so we wind up meeting again. Maybe this time we're not in the park, maybe someplace a little bit more secluded, which eventually might lead to a place such as a hotel room. And both of us might feel extremely guilty after the conclusion of that act, even maybe if we're religious people praying, oh, God, we're so sorry. Please forgive us. Please help us not to do this again. And we promise you we won't do it again. And actually mean that prayer when you pray it. When the guilt begins to subside, and that desire to do it again. Actually, I created a word for it. I call it afterlust. It's when you start remembering the part of it that you liked, that fulfilled some need in you that typically existed from childhood. It could be later than that. And it's taking advantage of that. It's filling that. And so the next thing you know, you're back doing it again. As a matter of fact, as you're headed toward doing it again, you're telling yourself, I'm not going to do that. I promise I'm not going to do that. Until finally, you can't even lie to yourself anymore, so you just shut down and go numb. You don't think at all. And you get there, and you do that thing again, whether it's infidelity, whether it's illegal drugs, whether it's getting drunk on your rear end, whatever it might be, you do it. 
and you pray again, oh God, if you're a religious person, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. I promise you that I'll never, ever do it again. And then you wind up doing it again. And after a while, you don't pray anymore. You don't pray anymore because you figure God doesn't want to hear from a hypocrite like you. And so you move out of the cognitive dissonance, but the way you've moved out is not by straightening up yourself and going back to your beliefs and values like that was wrong. I need to leave that and go back to the person I was before, believing and valuing what I did before, being a good guy, a good gal, not the one I'm becoming now. But instead, what happens is you actually change your belief and value system. You modify it to make what you're doing okay. So, for example, if I'm now involved with this other woman, but I'm married, I might start rewriting history about my wife, remembering only the bad things about us and not the good, even convincing myself that, you know, I never was in love with her and telling myself all kinds of different reasons that I married her. Rewriting history about this, if somebody would say, hey, remember the time we all went to up into the mountains together, several couples, and we had a blast. I'll be thinking, yeah, I had fun with you guys, but man, you know, my wife was a drag. You, you don't know what she was like when we go to the cabin at night and such, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that you actually begin to harden yourself toward anything or anyone that might lead you back to your belief and value system. And so if people in your church are saying, thou shalt not commit adultery, maybe you quit going to church or you find a church where people don't talk about that thing. And you start avoiding your old friends that would be really angry with you if they knew you were doing the things that you're doing. You start making new friends, if any friends at all, that actually are okay with what you're doing. Your lifestyle begins to change, and a lot of things you didn't do before, you did now. And if you were barely drinking or not drinking before, you might wind up drinking a lot more now. If you had certain sexual inhibitions before, they may be gone in this new relationship, because once you cross the boundary, there really aren't any boundaries anymore. And if somebody comes along and says, try this, and hand you some kind of a drug, you may even do that. Why? Because you have changed your belief and value system to make what you're doing okay so that guilt won't eat you alive and you're not feeling guilty. Now, you may occasionally have those pangs of guilt, but you quickly cover them up by putting yourself further into the thing that you're doing. And if you have those nightmares that just wake you up in that cold sweat, you tell yourself you're going to be okay. Okay, this is what I need to do. And then you do that more justification of why you don't need to go back you can justify not being there for your children, that they'll be okay, even though all the research indicates they're going to pay dearly for it. You can justify drinking as heavily, all those kinds of things, you understand? But hopefully you don't stay there. People in that situation, in that phase I'm talking about, feel little to no guilt. And people who used to know them say, I don't know who he is now, or I can't understand who she is now. It's like... Like he or she has become a totally different person. And in very real ways, that has occurred. You say, okay, but I'm listening to this because I was there. But now the guilt has begun to come back. And I see the effect it had on my kids or on my ex-wife or on my friends or if you're religious, on my church or on the kingdom of God. I see the effect it had on my company. I lost all my money because... 
because I was in a high position and rather than doing my job like I should have, I was so involved in that thing I got into that I became a lousy business person, a lousy supervisor, a lousy accountant, whatever it was, and all kinds of things happened. And, and man, you know, I made this terrible big mistake in the accounting and it cost the company this and I lost my job or all those kinds of things to look back and go, look at all the damage I did to me and look at all the damage I've done to people around me, including the people that at one point were the most important people in my life. And that's the kind of guilt I'm talking about right now. For people are thinking, I'm sad. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, I'm avoiding people that I care about because it just hurts too much to be around them because every time I look at them, I think about what I did. So maybe I'm now telling my wife, you deserve a whole lot better than me. You need to go find somebody else. You don't need to be around some scumbag like I am. Maybe I'm thinking I'll be around my children some, but I don't want to be around them too much because maybe they'll become what I am and I don't want that to happen to them. Maybe you still avoid your friends because you're thinking I am so embarrassed and humiliated that they know what I've done. I don't want to be around them anymore. And so you become isolated in life. And that may actually lead you back into doing some more bad stuff just because you hurt so badly. Unfortunately, for some, it leads them to the ending of their life, which is not the best solution at all. You say, wait, 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 Joe, you're talking about this philosophically. You've never really been there. And the answer to that is, yes, I have. I did leave my wife and my children. It was many years ago now. I did go off and live a lifestyle that was completely foreign to everything that was me before that. My belief in value system, I mean, I was drinking heavily. Uh, I was stealing drugs. I mean, like people's Valium and narcotics like painkillers and things like that when I had a chance. And occasionally the illicit drugs when somebody else offered me, but mostly that was marijuana back in those days. I did a lot of things with a lot of people that I wish I hadn't done. And because I drank so heavily, there are actually days from back then that are missing. What I mean is I don't really remember what happened. And I do know the pain it caused my children. I do know the pain it caused my wife that I divorced and left. I do know pain it caused other people. As a matter of fact, just a couple of years ago, somebody posted on my private personal Facebook page you know, they limit you to 5,000 friends there. So I have 5,000 and I <laughs> believe me, I don't know who everybody is. These are people I've run into around America as I've spoken and around the world, obviously. And, and some guy actually posted on my Facebook page. He said, I knew Joe Beam back when he did those things and nearly every bad decision I've made in my life where I've done really terrible things that hurt me and other people. I justified by saying, at least I'm not as bad as Joe Beam. How would you like to read that on your Facebook page? And yes, it did spike some guilt. I felt guilty for a while about that. So how then do you get past it? If you understand some of how you got into it, then how do you get past it? Okay, here's the first thing you do. That's right, just face up to it. I mean, it's kind of hard to do, but it is a thing that you need to do. I personally... I don't say, wow, I made a mistake because what I did back then wasn't a mistake. A mistake is hitting the wrong key on the keyboard. I knew what I was doing and I knew what I was doing was wrong. And for me, it's a wimp out. It's a somehow not taking responsibility when you say, well, I made a mistake. If I mispronounce your name, that's a mistake. What I did, I did knowing what I was doing was wrong. Therefore, it wasn't a mistake. It was wrong. 
but I did it consciously. I did it purposely. So I think it is actually beneficial to you when you look at it and quit making any kind of justification, even after all the things I've said about trying to understand why or how. Don't justify it. Stand up on your two feet and say, I did it. A friend of mine who was a minister had had an affair with a woman in his church and was going to stand before the whole church and make a confession. And just before the service, he was calling me on the phone and said, here's what I'm going to say. I made a mistake and uh, I'm sorry. And I said, well, you know, sorry is good, but here's what I would do if it were I. I wouldn't get up and say it's a mistake. I get up and say I knew what I did and I know it was wrong. I would go ahead and say, I'm sorry. And then I'd say, and if you can somehow find it in your heart to forgive me, I ask you to, knowing that some of you won't. But you just get up and face it, get it over with, do it. Then some people are going to come up to you and be nice and kind and forgive you. And some people are going to treat you like trash. But understand that you still stand up and you do the right thing. You admit what you have done. You can confess it to the people that you need to confess it to. And to him, that was that church. Another minister friend of mine, and by the way, (laughs) I'm not trying to make all ministers sound out to be bad here, but another minister of mine did something similar to that. And afterwards he called me back and he told me some of the negative reactions he were getting, he was getting and how badly people were treating him. And I reminded him of that story that Jesus told in the gospel of Luke, where when a guy repented, the angels in heaven rejoiced and had a party. And every two or three weeks, he'd call me and say, tell me about that party again. (laughs) And I would. Understand that you're not going to find peace within and getting past it by thinking everybody now loves you. They won't. There are some people who will hold it against you as long as you live. But if you let that be the overwhelming thing, then you're missing the, the good point, which is that people who genuinely care, people who have good hearts are going to forgive you and are going to love you in spite of what you did and aren't going to spend time bringing it back up again and again and again to the future. I have many friends who would never say anything about those days to me, only my enemies. I used to concentrate on my enemies and think, man, these people hate me. And I would worry about it and feel terrible about it until finally somebody said, why don't you quit thinking about them and think about the people that love you anyway? I think that's pretty good advice. So admit that you did it. Allow yourself to feel pain for what you did. What I mean by that is if, if, if you want to just sit down and cry, then let that happen. Even if you're a guy, if you want to mourn, do. You can go through a grief process because you did lose something important to you. You lost what you were. So go to the grief process, which involves shock and denial and anger and bargaining and all those kinds of things. But where you're headed through all of that is finally come to the fact that you accept that it happened and you accept that you cannot undo it. Accept that you're imperfect and that as much as you would like to get that time machine and go back, it doesn't exist. It's not going to happen. And you need to accept that it's over. It's done. As I just said, some people you know won't accept that. But if you want to find forgiveness within you, if you want to forgive you, then you have to accept that. I can't undo it. I just can't. 
And if somebody tries to put that back on you, I actually had a guy several years ago walk up and say, out of the clear blue, I mean, Alice and I have been back together for many years. He walked up and said, do you know how many people you hurt by what you did? To which I replied, no, no, I really don't. I guess you feel like you need to remind me of that. I'm very sorry it happened, but I've long since made my life right. I've long since been forgiven by God, forgiven by my wife and my children. And if you choose not to forgive me, that's your burden, not mine. And if you want to walk around thinking about all the harm I did, feel free, but I refuse to. I'm not going to live in the past. I'll learn from the past, but I will refuse to live in the past. I'm going to live in the present and look forward to a great future. Now, is it easy to get there? No, I don't think it is. But can you get there? Absolutely, you can. And so sometimes you'll run into these kinds of things. Let me talk about some of the lies that, that you might even feel, okay? Like you might be thinking, but I don't deserve to be forgiven. If you're a Christian, you might be thinking, I don't deserve God forgiving me. And the answer to that is, you're right, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. I don't deserve my wife forgiving me. No, you don't. I don't deserve my children forgiving me. No, my husband, you're right. And you say, wait a minute, well, wait, wait, I thought you were trying to help us. You see, once you accept the good news is that you don't have to deserve it, then things get better. Because if you start thinking, I've got to be good enough to deserve being forgiven, that's not going to happen. Because you're still flawed, and sometimes you'll still do stupid things. So accept the fact, hey, if you're religious, God forgives you not because you're perfect, but God forgives you because of grace. And the people who love you will forgive you not because you've gotten so good that you deserve it. They'll forgive you because of the fact that they just love who you are, period, even though they don't love everything that you have done. So rather than letting that be a lie that keeps you from feeling forgiven, I don't deserve it, accept it. You know, you're right, I don't accept it. That makes it even more wonderful that the people that matter do forgive me. Or the second lie, like your sin is too bad. Like that woman who called me on the radio and said, oh man, you know, God's not going to forgive me because I murdered someone. There's no such thing. No such thing. I actually ran into a situation, this was several years ago now, where a woman and her teenage daughters walked up to me after I had been speaking at a certain place and said, our, the, actually one of the daughters said, my dad would be here tonight, but he's in prison. To which I replied, why is he in prison? She said, for molesting us, those three girls. I said, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And they said, it's okay now. Because he had a problem and he went to the police station and turned himself in. And he went to prison for it. And I said, how do you feel about that? They said, our father protected us from the predator. Who happened to be our father? So because he went and turned himself in, he did the right thing. He protected us, and we feel great love for him. And when he gets out, of course, we'll be grown then. And when he gets out, we'll have a relationship with him. We'll be careful about him around our children, et cetera, because we know he has a problem. But they forgave a man that many of us would say did not deserve to be forgiven. So you don't think, don't think in terms of my sin is so bad Actually, if you're a religious person, read Romans 5 and verse 20, where it says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Another lie, like, okay, because you still sometimes want to do that thing again, that means you've got no hope. Listen, <laughs> the flesh in me still sometimes wants to do the things. Really, 
there's a part of me that sometimes life is so stressful. I think, you know, I can be drunk in an hour. I've done that before. I know how to do that. Sometimes there's a part of me that wants to go do that. The fact that you sometimes want to do it doesn't mean that you haven't repented of it. It doesn't mean that you haven't changed. It means you're still human. And so what you do is you admit that too. Occasionally, Alice will ask me that. Even all these years later, we've been remarried 29 years now, and she'll say, you ever miss that? You mean that lifestyle where I was drinking and carousing, picking up women, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, do I ever miss that? Yeah, yeah, sometimes I do. What? When I get stressed, sometimes I think about that. And she said, then why don't you do it? Because that's not who I am now. I'm a different person now. So, yeah, there's a part of me that still misses that. But that doesn't mean I'm that person, and it doesn't mean that I'm that wicked and that evil it means that I am forgiven and God has moved on. And of course, the other lie I've already alluded to, which people sometimes think, well, I'm not forgiven because there are some people that don't forgive me or haven't forgiven me. Trust me, some people never will. But heaven throws a party when a particle returns and the people that matter, almost all of them will. So that Alice's family, who were really angry with me, they've all forgiven me. The people that most of the people that were my friends before, not all, there's some who still have nothing to do with me whatsoever, and that's okay, it's their choice. But the fact that they don't forgive me doesn't mean I'm not forgiven. And then there's another thing here, which means is that finally you have to accept it. You say, what do you mean? Well, I'm actually, basically, I'm going to wind up and start taking some calls. There's three things you need to forgive. Three? Mm -hmm. The first is, you probably, in all likelihood, need to forgive God. Whoa, wait a minute. God didn't do anything wrong. I'm agreeing. God's not guilty. But the anger I feel toward God because he let me get into this situation, or the anger I might feel toward God because of what did happen to me in my childhood that God allowed. He didn't change that somehow. The anger I feel because he let my dad die when I was 40, and all of a sudden that threw me into a whirlwind, and I went up doing terrible things, or let my mom die when I was... 50, and, and I wound up doing other things because I reacted so badly to that. And so we are not always happy with what God does. Now, he doesn't need our forgiveness, but we need to forgive him for our own peace of mind. Like, God, I accept the fact that you are God. I accept the fact that you do what you believe is best. I accept the fact that you let us make our own decisions, even when sometimes I wish you wouldn't. And so, God, even though I've been angry at you, and as a matter of fact, I'm still a little mad right now. I forgive you and I accept you as you are. Then, then the second thing is you need to forgive all those people, all those people who hurt you. It doesn't mean they all have to ask you for forgiveness because some won't. As a matter of fact, if you go try to see them all, some of them would tell you, I'm really sorry, please forgive me. You'll feel good about that. Some of them will say, go jump in the lake and you'll feel bad about that. So, why don't you just let it all go and accept the fact that they did what they did and forgive them and let it go. And that's what acceptance is. Acceptance is not that you forget it. Acceptance is that you finally accept the fact that you can't do anything about it. That's when you can move on and then forgive you, which is to accept the same thing. Okay. I did it. I accept the fact that I did it. I'm not happy that I did, but I did. And I'm going to accept God's forgiveness. I'm going to accept the forgiveness of the people who do forgive me, I'm not going to question it. Because really, if you think about it, 
people who haven't forgiven themselves. Let's say, for example, you're a religious person. Let's say you're a Christian and you've done, you, you've given your faith your, to God. And the Bible says that God's grace is greater than your sin and that, you know, arise and sin no more. All those kind of passages that, you know, the old is done away with and new has come. And if you still feel guilty, it really means you don't believe God. Think about that. As a matter of fact, sometimes people just keep praying over and over and over that God forgives them of something that God's long since forgiven them from. I'm surprised that God sometimes doesn't just say, hey, I've already let this go. Why don't you? Accept the fact that God forgives, even though you don't deserve it, even though you're really messed up, even though you did it on purpose. It's over. It's done. Accept the fact that that's happened. Accept the fact that God's forgiven you. When other people forgive you, accept that too. If it's your wife, if it's your children, if it's your husband, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your best friend, and don't get hung up on the people that don't. And then you look at you in the mirror and go, I accept that I did it. But I'm going back to my belief and value system. I'm not going to do those things anymore. I'm, no, I'm not going to be perfect. And sometimes I'll still want to do those things. But when I do, I'm going to find somebody to help me. I'm going to call somebody who understands that I can talk to openly and honestly. And that person will help me not do it again. Just because I'll go have coffee with them. Or if they're across the country, we'll talk for an hour on the phone. And I can move on. You see, if you don't wind up forgiving yourself... It really has to do with not believing God, if you're religious. It has to do with not believing your friends. It has to do with not believing the people who love you. If all of them forgive you, or the ones that count forgive you, do you really want to hang on to the guilt? Does it do you any good? No. And so maybe, just maybe, you might need to go see a therapist Maybe a Christian therapist, if you're a Christian and need that, and work past these things, because if you really want to put your life back together and do good things, you've got to get past the guilt. It'll debilitate you. And here's the great news. God will use you for great things in the future. Now, if you're not a Christian, not religious, saying, I'll stop this God stuff. Let's put it this way for you. The things you learn the hard way because of what you did that you shouldn't have done, have educated you to help other people and to do some really powerful things in life. The future does not have to be a continuation of the past. Understand? All right, let's take a couple of calls really quick. Here's one. This is area code 832. Hello, you're on the Dr. Joe Show. Hi, Dr. Joe. Uh, You can call me Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Glad to have you with us tonight. Well, yeah, you waited yeah. a long time. I'm so sorry. I'm glad you're here. How can I help <laughs> no you? No problem. How can I help yeah, you? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it's a whole lot about the topic tonight, except that I hope my husband can get to the point of wanting forgiveness. But mm-hmm. um, I think my first question is just, I feel like I'm enabling him. So I'll just kind of tell you the background. I mean, um, he left home about four months ago, actually mm-hmm. about five months ago. Um, he is in limerence. And I have been um, being the safe, I mean, not for the first month or so, but I've been the safe place. Um, I've just, I've kind of done all the right things in that. Like I've been focusing on what I could change. And so in doing that, like I'm just, so he's not in the home. So I didn't, I don't even know if there is a way to enable somebody that's not even in the home. I think that's more for if they still live there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but just, I just kind of feel like a doormat, and I'm just wondering, um, just being so nice and just kind of make, validating all of his um, hurts and all these things, is it just, am I making it too easy for him? Like, because he seems, I mean, like in the valley pretty much, but how do I... Okay. What well, point do I, I mean, what do I do? Okay. Let me ask a question or two. I want to make sure I understand this because if, if you're being warm and kind and friendly, that's one thing. But when you say enabling, it makes me think that you're doing more. So are, is he still, did you say he's not living at home? He's not living at home. He's okay. No. Okay. And is he involved with some, you said he's in Limerick. So is he living with her? No, they're not living together. No. Okay. No. And there's so, definitely a relationship. And I really, I really feel like he may be in phase three because I do see some vacillation. Okay. So when I hear you say my enabling, what you're saying is, am I going to make sure I hear this right? This is what I'm asking. That what you're saying is because of the fact that I continue to be nice, he doesn't feel any compulsion to do the right thing. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I feel like he just doesn't have to make any kind of decision because I'm just being so cordial and I'm not making him feel guilty Neither, I mean, kind of his family and everything is even because he's kind of really, um, he, he's real dominant. And so mm-hmm. I think anyone's scared to kind of step on his toes because he kind of won't talk to them anymore if they do. And mm-hmm. so he has no one really making him feel the guilt. He can, he, I guess what he doesn't have is he doesn't get to see his kids every single day. He doesn't get to put them to bed at night. He doesn't get me sexually, that kind of stuff. I guess that's what he's not getting. So, I mean, is that enough? <laughs> Well, only you can decide that, obviously. But if you feel like you're enabling him, if you feel like, and for those that don't understand what we mean when we say the valley, the valley is when a person is in a situation where they feel they don't have to do anything differently. For example, in a situation like with Sarah, a husband who's involved with somebody else and doesn't feel like he has to do anything either in that direction, like being, you know, moving in with her or doesn't have to do anything in Sarah's direction either because right now Sarah's being nice to me. The other person's being nice to me. Hey, I can just do what I'm doing because there's no problem. That's what we mean when we talk about the fact that people are in the valley. Sarah, what we usually say here is that if you can tolerate the valley and it's not doing damage to you emotionally, spiritually, mentally, all those kinds of things, then there is value in that because you still have some communication with the other person and that creates the possibility at least of that person taking bricks off the wall and, you know, reestablishing a relationship. But at any point when that becomes destructive to you, to your own emotions or destructive to him in the sense that, wow, you know, he's easing on further the other way. Or if you have kids, destructive to them, then it's time to do something. So I'll give you an example. Uh, a gentleman that I have talked to several times over the last year, and he has allowed his wife to be in the valley for a year. And I kept telling him, because he'd tell me, this is killing me, it's destroying me. Well, if that's where you are, then my suggestion is that you go ahead and make some boundaries. And, and if the boundary even leads to things like divorce, then you need to do that. Not because of the fact that you on wanting to end the marriage, but because of the fact that she's moving further and further away from you. And, and so in this Valley, she's actually headed the other direction. So if you're going to do something, do something now while it still can have an effect. took me a year to convince him to do that. And the week he did, she came back. Now 
I'm not saying that if you do it, it'll instantly make him come back. Please hear me well. I, mean, I don't want to miss Heading in the other direction. Heading, what was heading in the other direction? Like Getting closer and she closer like to she the was... other person. Okay. Closer and closer to the other person. Like, you know, spending more and more time uh, there. Um, maybe even moving in with each other. That's definitely moving the other direction. That hmm. when a person's in a situation where they don't have to make a decision, they, they'll often just coast. Just coast. Mm-hmm. Is that what he's doing? Uh, well, I mean, like I said, he there was. I felt like there was a middle stage where it was like, look, I'm dating someone. You know, we are not together. There, mm-hmm. there was that stage where I didn't feel a lot of. And then lately, I there have been moments that I've felt some things and I've caught onto some things where he's just like, you can tell he's really confused again. He does. He's not ready for divorce. Good. All these things. That's why I'm saying. So I don't know if that means that he's having. The, they are spending more time together, but that's because um, he's starting to make it to where he's with her every other weekend, all weekend. He's getting more comfortable with. Spending, but I thought that was good. The more time they spend together, the quicker the limerence could end. That's why I was kind of getting okay with that. But yeah, and, and, and it is true that when they get together, the limerence does start to fade. But because of the fact that he's still married to you, it won't fade as fast. Yeah. In other words, it, it fades faster if they're totally together and every every other thing is moved out of the way, so there's no fear factor involved. Okay, but mm-hmm. but I understand. I understand the logic of what you're working toward. So you have seen some signs of it moving back toward you. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, just not so definite that he's leaving. Just kind of like um, a lot of like sometimes he'll come over and it doesn't happen a lot, but all of a sudden he will have all these emotions and want to just stand there and hug me for like five minutes. And mm-hmm. you know he won't say a lot, but you could just tell there's like a lot of passion, like a lot of like ah, oh, you right. know. Mm-hmm. kind of confusion in that way and then I don't know and then he seems to be afraid if I feel like if he thinks I'm going to tell him something bad he'll say what are you about to is this a divorce are you about to send me like as if he's worried about me sending him papers mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing so you know uh, but we by the way we have great communication now better better than we ever have he, he he's actually actually that was another one of my questions um I have been focused so much on me and what I did wrong in the relationship, um, but I heard you on a call with someone, and the way she was describing her husband was exactly like I would describe my husband, and you were calling that destructive behavior. So now I'm kind of to the point where I'm right now I'm, I'm validating all of his hurts and his feelings and, and not bringing anything that he communicated wrong or anything that he did wrong. In the marriage, mm-hmm. I'm not bringing those things up. At what point do I bring those up after maybe if he decides to reconcile and I, I wait until then to even mention any of those things? <laughs> That's a great question. That really is a good question. <laughs> no, it, I think at whatever point you're having good conversations, you know, what we try to get across to people is don't don't take responsibility for everything because that that works against you as well. And don't repeatedly bring up like, well, oh, I shouldn't have done this, or I'm sorry I did that. Once oh, you've no. said it, right. let it go. Don't keep bringing it up. But at some mm-hmm. point, could there be? I think absolutely, particularly if you're having a really good conversation where it's being kind of open. You can say, you know, uh, can I talk about some of the things that I wish we could fix so that we could figure out how to be back together again? And you can just tell him. You know, it's when, when you do things such as, just make sure it doesn't come across as an attack, okay? Because yeah. – when people are attacked, they want to defend themselves. And therefore, it usually comes out 
it usually comes out better if you do it from the I standpoint. Like, you know, when, whenever you do this, I felt ignored, that kind of thing. So it's not you ignored me. It's like when sometimes I felt ignored. And here's one other idea. The next time he's holding you and for like five minutes, sometimes people really do need to be told what to do, but not in a way where they feel like they're being told what to do. I mean, let me see if I can make that make sense. People tend to react negatively if you say, this is what you need to do. This is what you have to do. They back off from that. But sometimes people really do want to be told what to do. And, and, and one of those situations where you can tell he's feeling this deep passion, he really does miss us. And, and he really does have a part of him that wants to be here. And one of those things you can say something like, you know, I understand that you have these mixed emotions. And if you would like, I can help you move back in here. And then you let it go. You don't push it. You don't press it. You just say something like that. And then you let it go so he doesn't feel like you're trying to push or press. But it's kind of like planting that idea in his head. You know, I'm here right now. But you don't want to give the idea, I'm going to be here forever no matter what you do. Because then he stays in the valley a lot longer. Mm-hmm. I'm still wearing my ring. That that brings up something else where he's feeling like I'm hanging out here forever. I wonder... Um, before he was anytime I would be just going out with girlfriends just to dinner or something like that. And I was dressed as I was dropping the kids off. He kind of aggressively always wanted to know, well, where are you going? Who are you going with? Mm. And I would kind of wanted to seem as if it was a mystery. So I would just kind of try to avoid the question. I mean, nothing bad, but I just, I kind of maybe wanted, I I didn't lie or anything, but I just kind of let him still kind of wonder a little bit in a nice way. And it was, making him really angry. It started to make him very, very, very angry because he's kind of a dominant type person anyway. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, from the hurt and the anger and all that stuff. Um, so I decided that I wasn't going to play games and I was just going to be completely transparent. So when he asked me, I'm like, okay, yeah, I went to dinner with some girlfriends. So now I'm completely transparent. I have my ring on. <laughs> That's another way I feel like I'm just completely enabling him because if he has, he doesn't have to check in anymore to know that I'm still waiting. He just kind of knows that I am because he sees my ring and he knows what I'm doing. <laughs> so, so you might want to consider this then. There's a possibility. Stop wearing your ring. And when he says, you know, where did you go last night or where are you going? You say something like, yeah, and you'd be very kind and very gentle. Like, you know, I'm happy to, I, w- I was happy to answer those questions before, but because of the fact that I'm living alone now, uh, those are really my decisions and you do it sweetly and kindly and, and you don't answer his question. Now, if he starts to get angry, very gently say, you know, please don't get angry. Understand that in the situation I'm in, I've got to be making some decisions about my own life. And they still don't tell him where you're going. So you don't fight with him. You don't argue. Now I'm not suggesting that you must do that. I'm just telling you <laughs> since he's reacting that way, that might be something you can do to kind of, Try him a little bit off center here. Just do it very carefully. And if he gets really angry, back off. But, you know, just do it so he can know. I'm assuming you sound relatively young. Are you? <laughs> I'm 39. Then you are young. Okay. You okay. Just, <laughs> and you sound, you sound very intelligent. You also sound very articulate. My guess is that if you wanted male attention, you could have some. You probably have already had people men who've let you know that you would get male attention. I'm not suggesting that you go do that because you're still married, 
but I'm suggesting you have the confidence of, I'd love to have my marriage back, but if he doesn't come back, mm-hmm. I will be okay in my life. Because that kind of confidence in you actually works to an advantage here, both for you, that's what it's really for, it's for you, but also toward him. You're not rubbing it in his face. He really, not... is, ter- he really is terrified of that. So I, I was wondering if I should use just a tiny bit of that. or you know. Yes. I suggest that you okay. do. Just be gentle, be careful, and don't push it too far. But, yeah, I, I think you should. Now, your area code is, okay. what, like Houston? Is that where you are? Uh-huh. Okay. So yes. there's like a gazillion things to do in Houston, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, right. I, I appreciate okay. your, your, your faith. I appreciate the fact that you want your marriage back together. But it might be time to do some of these things to get him a little off center without doing something drastic because you don't want to do that. Okay. And I know you guys say um, limerence is the three to the thir- what, 36 months. Is there an average or a median or any type of like, I mean, is it literally just do most of them sit in one range, you know, one area? Because well, he's been out for, go ahead. You, you've you seen a thing called a bell curve at some point, right? Where it kind of goes mm-hmm. up and at the middle is the highest point, then it comes back down. That's the, it's a kind of a bell curve, which, so that more of them would be in the middle than either side. Uh, I kind of hesitate to tell you this, but they're now beginning, latest research is indicating it might be more like 48 months, three months to 48 oh. months instead of three months to 36 months. I know, I don't want to discourage you. But remember that, that the, the midpoint. Oh, and, and it's still, though, remember, some of them only last three months. I mean, there is no predicting. I can't look at my watch and go, he's got seven days left. You understand it's just not mm-hmm. going to be that way. But I'm telling you that what you're telling me lets me know that he is still very much connected to you. And oh, yeah. there's a big part of him that does not want to lose you. And so mm-hmm. maybe it's time to start using that to make him come back okay. to reality. Just do it gently and don't push. Okay. 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 Uh, and then the only other thing that I, I wanted to kind of ask you about was the, um, the intervention type thing where mm-hmm. um, I did think of a couple of people in our life that his brothers, they don't want to step on his toes. Most people in his life do not want to step on his toes. Um, and he's the type of person that like right now we're sitting good. We're so cordial, this and that, but he can literally get so angry in a second if, mm-hmm. you know, if I kind of take a wrong turn and I'm afraid of totally turning him off if mm-hmm. I go off and tell someone to contact him. Right. And so, Go ahead. Based on what you're telling me right now, I wouldn't do an intervention if it were I. Okay, great. If I may ask, on which direction of Houston are you? If from downtown, are you southeast, southwest, northwest, northeast, what? North, north, um, kind of northeast, I would say. Okay. I've, I've got some really good resources southwest Houston, if you ever need to know. Some people okay. down there. Okay. That uh, If you ever need that, just remember that, okay? Yes. Okay, I would All love right. that. Thank you. All right, Sarah, you have a good okay. evening, okay? Thank you so right. much. Bye-bye. Oh, you're very welcome. Typically at this point, I would close, but this other caller's been waiting so long. Area code 214. I think that's the Dallas area. Are you there? Uh, Hello, this is Ryan. Hi, Ryan. How can we help you tonight? Um, I appreciate you taking my call. I actually listened to you earlier. I had a, had a question, uh, you know, um, and you, you're very helpful in that answer. And the... Um, but uh, so my question about forgiveness specifically has to do with um, so my wife tells me that you know she forgives me for all the things that I've done um, 
you know, she's coined this term financial infidelity and, and somehow that's, that's what she justifies in her mind on what's going on. Um, and, and again, uh, um, I can't change her mind and, and, and she is where she is, but she says she forgives, but she doesn't forget. And and so I actually spoke to her today and, and, and I was, I guess I was being defensive, but, uh, you know, I, I told her from my perspective, I, I don't, really feel like you really forgive me because you're not giving me a second chance for for repenting for my you know for what I've done um mm-hmm. and 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 working on our marriage uh in her mind you know we're, we're already divorced and, and and it's over and and she wants just to it's just the final you know motions that we we need to go through um so I guess my question for you is in your opinion do you think she's really forgiven me if if she's not you know, if she's still saying that, um, if she's not giving me a second chance, if she's not giving me to work on the marriage, it, I mean, is that really forgiveness? Or, I mean, I, I told her I'm I'm not Jesus, and, and she says, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I mean, Jesus was perfect, and I'm not perfect, and I'm not saying I'll never sin again, but she just feels like, you know, there's no trust between us, uh, between me, and, and so that's why she can't you know, foresee a path of happiness with me in a divorce. She thinks right. that we have to find mm-hmm. our path back together through other people, which is just crazy. Okay. To me. Yeah. Well, I would agree with that, but can a person forgive and not reconcile? You're, you're not going to allow my answer, but the answer is yes, you can forgive and not reconcile. Forgiveness and reconciliation are actually two different things. Forgiveness is I'm not going to create pain for you. I'm not going to try to get vengeance toward you. That's basically what forgiveness means. Reconciliation is a second thing. It's a different thing altogether. And reconciliation is, okay, now based on that forgiveness, if we're going to put this back together, how do we do it? I don't know that you're going to have any benefit from arguing with her about whether she's forgiven you or not. As a matter of fact, you're probably just going to make her defensive. What, what would work yeah, that's if exactly anything? What I did. Okay. So, don't do that then because that's not going to work. Instead, what you do is you work on you in every way that you possibly can. Now, the fact that she's out there and she's thinking, you know, I need to go towards somebody else, those kinds of things, you're not going to argue her out of that. What you're going to have to do, if anything works at all, is demonstrate her out of that. And that means by you doing the best you can to be the best you you can can that you can be. I'm assuming that you're in the online uh, Save My Marriage course. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. All right. And and how many weeks into it are you? Um, I I I've I've watched all the videos and but I'm okay. going back through them. Uh, good. You know more in detail. Good. Good. I suggest you do that. Work on you right now. Okay. And and don't try to convince her of anything at this point. Show her. So whatever interaction you have with her, you show that you're becoming the best you you can be. It's going to require some patience, my friend. And I know that because you love her and you want to be with her, it's going to be awfully hard for you to do that. But if you can, that, if anything works, that will work, Ryan. Hey, man, I'm right, sorry. Well, I know, I, and, and I bought... And I bought the pies thing too, and 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 I realized that I'm, there's no magic pill. I know that I can't convince her. You know, I'm at this point where I, I've accepted all this, and 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 I'm mm-hmm. just really giving up hope on um, us reconciling. Uh, you know, before a divorce, right? Um, she, you know, she says we may find each other later on, but it just I don't, I don't know. I I don't. 
it, it, to me, she's talking like, you know, we would talk if we were dating or even if we were engaged, right? I mean, but we already made the commitment and we're, and, and we're married. Right. And so, yeah. you know, she feels, she really feels that the only way to fix our marriage is divorce. And I don't, that's, that's not, that's unfair to me. It, 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 and, and so, like you said, she forgives, meaning she isn't vengeful. So I guess you're correct. Um, thank you for clarifying that for me. Um, and she wants to be friends, but I just can't, I can't do this anymore. I, it's 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 too painful for me to be right. friends with her and still go through this divorce process. Maybe later on afterwards, after I've grieved, but but right now I, I can't do this anymore. I understand that, man. It can be it can be absolutely devastating, and you need to take care of you. I'm all for saving marriages, but it always starts with the individual taking care of himself or herself in a good, healthy way. So please, Ryan, do that for you first, my friend. Okay, and I agree. What she's doing is not logical. I agree wholeheartedly, but don't give up the faith yet, my friend. I'm so sorry. After all, I'm over time. <laughs> I'm over time, so I'm going to have to get off. But, but just be as strong and patient as you can, please, if you will. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you, and have a good evening, everyone. <laughs> 